is Making Stitches, and this time we hear from Sarah Corbett from the Craftivist Collective about the art of gentle protest. I talk about gentleness as the golden thread in craftivism because I, I don't mean gentleness as in passive or weak, but as really carefully done, you know, really considered. And as you, you know, mentioned before, if you put love throughout whatever you make, it's hard to measure it and to show like physical evidence of it, but that person who sees it or receives it can feel it, I think, can really feel that you've not only done it carefully, but you really care about the issue you've stitched about, you care about what they're, how they're feeling. Hello and welcome to Making Stitches. I'm Lindsay and this time on the podcast, Sarah Corbett, crafter and activist, shares her creative story. From growing up in a politically active family in Everton in Liverpool, to leading thousands in acts of craftivism in a bid to change people's minds about key policy issues and speaking up for the underrepresented. I first came across Sarah and her work back in 2017, when she published her second book, how to be a craftivist. But it was her appearance on a BBC documentary recently with the comedian Jenny Eclair which reminded me about her work and I was compelled to ask her onto the podcast. Despite running the Craftivist Collective single-handedly and inspiring many, many crafters through workshops and talks around the world, Sarah agreed to speak to me and I was thrilled to be able to find out more about her and the work she does. I'm sure you'll find Sarah's story as inspiring as I did, and do stay tuned to the end to hear an exclusive about Sarah's upcoming project, which she'd like you to help with. Here's our conversation now. Sarah, first of all, thank you so much for speaking to me, because I know you're incredibly busy with so many things going on at the moment. Thank you very much for joining me for Making Stitches. Oh, thanks for asking me. It'll be a pleasure. So where, where am I speaking to you from? today i am in east london and just for any listeners <laughs> i live on a really busy main road with a large single glazed window so if you hear any sirens i'm perfectly safe it's just normal life for me living on my main busy road in east london <laughs> fantastic now of course you're known for craftivism and for anybody who doesn't know what craftivism is what is it yeah, so I didn't coin the word craftivism. It was coined in 2003 by an American lady called Betsy Greer, um, who says that, you know, craftivism is using any craft and it's using using the craft to help hone your voice um, and speak your, your concerns. I always say craftivism is a little bit like punk. You know, you know, when you think of punk music and you've got all these different bands that sound completely different, but they're all under that umbrella. And I think we should see craftivism like that. If you Google craftivism, you'll see lots of people doing very different things. Um, so I call my approach to craftivism gentle protest, which is very specific of how the cause comes f- comes first and the craft is the tool. And then it's looking at how you can use the process of craft to help with your activism, use the object and use the public sphere, which hopefully we'll talk about in this podcast. Definitely. So how did you get to where you are now then? What What's your, your journey with craft and activism? Yeah, it was never a plan. <laughs> It's been very organic 
I mean, the last few years I've been much more strategic after, but at the beginning it was just all happened by accident. Um, and I remember really vividly how it happened for me. I, it was the summer of 2008. I'd just moved to London for a job with the UK Department for International Development. My background is in activism. So I'm from Everton, which is a very still a very low-income area with lots of inequality. Um, my dad is still the local vicar there. And my mum was a nurse and then a full-time mum of three kids under the age of five at one point, living on the 14th floor of a tower block, which for any mums listening will know the, you know the stress of it all. And then she became a local politician because they were always involved in community development. So I grew up very much as an activist, you know, but also quite shy, but loved listening. So most of the community development campaigns, whether it was local issues on housing or national issues or even international issues like South Africa apartheid, most of those campaign meetings would happen in our back kitchen in the vicarage. And we'd have, you know, people of all faiths and none involved and bishops involved and media plans and lots of stuff going on. Um, So I ended up working in campaigns and really caring about social justice and knowing that activism could work if it was done strategically and thoughtfully. And in 2008, I moved to London for the job and I joined lots of activist groups and I just didn't fit so many you know I really cared about these issues and I thought this is how I find a group of friends and a lot of it was very performative or very extrovert in my job training people how to be you know young people how to be active citizens a lot of the charities were like we just need lots of signatures on petitions you don't need to have a big conversation with them about climate change but that was you know 15 years ago we did need to explain what global warming was So on this train to Glasgow in the summer of 2008, I had five hours on the Pendolino train and I get quite travel sick and I knew I couldn't do my work on the train. I loved to draw and paint, but I knew I couldn't do that on a tilting train. So I picked up a cross-stitch kit in East London of a little teddy. Um, And one of the many things I love about craft is it felt really accessible. I didn't know what I was going to do with this little teddy, but it was just crosses. And I thought, I'm too tired to have a blank canvas and create something. I just want to use my hands. And I immediately noticed how separating the thread slowed me down, calmed me down. I hadn't noticed how shaky my hands were, how shallow my breath was. But using the process of craft made me so mindful of how my body was and I've never asked in activist groups and activists have never asked me then you know how are we feeling what are we bringing to our activism people do more now um but I just noticed that the process also I had so many uncomfortable questions to ask myself of can I be an activist is it burning me out can activism be kinder I was having a bit of a quarter-life crisis and the comfort of crafting this little teddy really helped me delve even deeper into those questions to find the answers whereas without using my hands in a repetitive slow and you know soft way with the fabrics I kept thinking about it then going oh this is too big a thing and I'm getting a bit freaked out and a bit anxious so I'll go do something else and then people on the train the people opposite me were asking what I was doing and you you know the British listeners will know that we're not great at talking to people that we don't know 
And with my activist background, I immediately thought, I didn't say it to the couple opposite me on the train, I thought, oh, if only I was cross-stitching a quote from Gandhi, we could talk about inequality or something. And that made me think, okay, I think the process could really help my own activism in terms of critical thinking and deep engagement and compassion for myself and others. It was creating conversations with people and then I came up with this idea of well maybe I could do mini cross-stitched banners that you hang somewhere for people to find on their own without feeling confronted so my brain naturally just came up with all these ideas and and thought it was very much common sense to craft the craft and activism was fit so I googled the words craft and activism as a typical millennial and the word existed but there wasn't any groups I could join or projects I could do and it was very much rooted in Betsy's love of knitting and I'm not a knitter so she joined lots of knitting groups and said the personal is political people make do and amend and that's a form of activism whereas I was coming more from a what's the social change issue problem what's the solution who are the power holders how do we campaign you know to them in, in different ways but she was very gracious and still is and says anyone can use the word craftivism and I said you know could I tinker and come up with my own projects and use the word and she said you know do whatever you want so you know that was 2008 and and look where we are now I'm still honing my craft but I started setting up a little blog just because my friends and family and colleagues were asking, you know, what's this weird thing I've heard you're, you're doing? And as an introvert and someone who's quite shy of attention, I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll put it on this blog that you can just read. But I suddenly, within months, you know, from that summer of 2008 up to the December, had people all over the world asking to join in, saying, I'm a burnt out activist too, or I'm an introvert, or I love craft and I want to use it for a social purpose. So it just sort of grew into setting up the Craftivist Collective, providing kits and tools for people, having books for people, doing more national and global projects. So very led by how can I be of use, what do crafters need, what do activists need, and what where can craftivism complement other forms of activism to add to the toolkit not to replace other forms of activism so i'll still go on some marches if they have a clear goal and they're not you know unkind and i'll still sign lots of petitions and i have lots of boring meetings with decision makers that don't involve craft but craft has been incredible of helping change hearts and minds and policies and laws through the gentleness approach i use and if it didn't work I wouldn't do it and I wouldn't have said yes to this podcast because it wouldn't be a good use of any of our time. <laughs> so it happened, yeah, it happened in a very strange way, but intuitively it felt right. I don't know if that sounds a, sounds a bit hippie, Lindsay. <laughs> Not at all. Well, I mean, my next question was, you know, does it work? Because, I mean, it's beautiful. The, the mindfulness, which is just, it's the buzzword at the moment, more than anything, yeah. really, isn't it? But the mindfulness yeah. of actually stitching and, and, and producing something that you've got, you don't make these things in five minutes, do you? There's an awful lot of yeah. time and, and there's love goes into every stitch yeah. as well. But what, yeah. how does it work in, in getting a message across? Yeah, I mean, there is 
So at the beginning, I was definitely like, oh, all these elements are so helpful. And then when people asked to join in and I set up a little London group where I was and we met in a cafe in the British Library um, and people wanted a project every month. So I was like, OK, I'll create a project every month. And actually, that was the wrong way to do it because people just wanted new stuff. And it was very much focused on the final object. And what I didn't want to lose is exactly what you've said. I don't want people to lose the opportunity that the process of handicraft helps with mindfulness, helps with critical thinking, helps with asking ourselves uncomfortable questions we should be asking ourselves, but using the comfort of craft for that. So all of my projects have craft of thought questions in them. So once your hands know what you're doing and, you know, all your listeners will know this, you know, your brain starts wandering off about what are you going to make for your tea, what's on your to-do list, lots of other stuff you sort of get in the flow. And that's when I tell people, look at your craft of thought questions, whether you're on your own, stitching in your bedroom without anyone knowing, or whether you're in public or in a group and, you know, tweeting as you go along. Look at the craft of thought questions. And the first question is always, each project has a different objective, but the first question is always around what are your values and how are you threading them through what you do say um, and think? And how are you threading them through this object with its own objectives? So they're big, juicy questions, and it's good to think about it, you know, in a, in a monologue on your own or with others or listen to other people's answers. And I love the fact that I do say to people, especially at workshops, because I've done hundreds of workshops for thousands of people all around the world now, um, in person is my favourite, so it's very sensory. But you can see some people who know how to craft just without even thinking. Their hands know what to do and they separate the thread and they do this. And I'm focused on hand embroidery and paper craft, not machine stuff, not woodwork where you might chop off a finger while you're thinking through your craft of thoughts. But very much the stitching and the sewing. And once people are like talking about what TV they're watching while they're doing the stuff, that's when I say to people, please, you know, while you're separating your thread, I know there's a fast way to do it, but I want you to do it really slowly because I want you to be engaged with how tight are your shoulders, how shaky are you, how tense is your body or how loose and lethargic is it, you know, really use that that process for that. When you're threading your needle, notice if you're really impatient and, and angry with yourself. Are you being kind to yourself or are you beating yourself up for not doing it? You know, bear that in mind in your activism because you might be so hurt and angry about some stuff that you bring that into your activism and that doesn't help your activism. It can actually harm it. And then while you're doing those repetitive actions, you know, at most of my stuff is word-based because I know that the object itself if it's too ambiguous for people when they see it, it's not activism, it's just confusing or awareness, but we want people to act. So think about what message are you stitching? And if you were a passerby, would you understand it? Would you know what to do once you hear that message? Is it a really scary fact that would just make people go, that's awful, but you're not offering them solutions to be part of? Is it something that could be misinterpreted if you're crocheting lots of black hearts as bunting in your local area to say that you care about black lives matter is that clear or would some people think it's black heart bunting for witches or something completely different so you use that time to not only engage with your own motives and strategy and empathy and complexity of the social justice issue you want to be part of the solutions for but you're also thinking about if i was this person who received this gift or saw this 
street craftivism, how would I feel? How would I think? Would I be inspired, empowered and know what to do? Or would I just go, well, that's a bit odd and nice and walk off and forget about it. So you're really using that process for the mindfulness, for the critical thinking. Um, and I, I think if you don't use the process for that and you just make something whilst you're watching Strictly Come Dancing or whilst you're chatting with your mates about something else, I'm just like, oh, what a wasted opportunity. And that might be more fun, but in the long term, it's much more fulfilling to go through the steps and go, oh my word, I actually have a huge amount of power and responsibility and I can be part of making real change. And I, I talk about gentleness as the golden thread in craftivism because I, I don't mean gentleness as in passive or weak, but as really carefully done, you know, really considered. And as you, you know, mentioned before, if you put love throughout whatever you make, it's hard to measure it and to show like physical evidence of it. But that person who sees it or receives it can feel it, I think, can really feel that you've not only done it carefully, but you really care about the issue you've stitched about, you care about what they're, how they're feeling, especially like we make gifts for power holders, like politicians and board members. And we make sure the gifts are something that they like and the colors and fonts and messages and, and patterns that they would like, not what we would like. And they notice that they're like, oh my word, you know, this really is about me, not about the crafter. And sometimes as crafters, we can focus a bit on, I want to do this and then I'll give it to someone as a gift. And you sort of know it's more about you as a crafter than, than the person receiving it. So, I mean, there's so there's so much entangled in that, but I think every little, you know, every little thread in what you make creates that vibe and those feelings and those, you know, all of those elements of what can make it really special and really impactful or could make it a bit gimmicky or ego-driven or a bit confusing. And it's up to us, especially in this finite world, when producing something physical, we need to, I think, be even more careful of can it be a catalyst for real change or will it end up in a landfill? You know, am I creating more waste or am I creating something that has, like, is a real catalyst for change? What kind of feedback have you had from, you know, people in positions of power and change makers when they've seen the things that have been made? Yeah, oh, it's so different. And I think that's why it still fascinates me. I mean, I'm so lucky that my full-time job is running the Craftivist Collective. I'm a one-woman band and after the BBC documentary that you saw, like there's even more demand. So I'm lucky I'm on a fellowship that hopefully, fingers crossed, helps me have a little team to do this so I can fulfill demand. Um, but it is, it just fascinates me every day, the response. And it's not always positive and perfect at all. I mean, I'll, I'll be open with you and, and share a few different ones. So one, we made handkerchiefs for the board members of Marks and Spencers, which is one of the biggest retailers in the UK for anyone outside of the UK listening. And we um, were working with Share Action and the Living Wage Foundation, who said that for three years they'd been trying to get one meeting with the CEO of Marks and Spencers just to discuss the possibility of them be, be um, becoming a living wage employer, paying the living wage to the staff that are on minimum wage or below um, living wage as well and they'd done petitions they'd done demonstrations they'd done you know lots of traditional activism you'd imagine and not got anywhere and the ceo of share action who do shareholder activism had read my little book of craftivism that came out before my yellow book 
uh, how to be a craftivist book and she said she emailed me saying it's so odd <laughs> we've tried you know your the way you do campaigning is so strange we've tried every form of activism we thought we could with MS and not got anywhere I was wondering if you think you could try something um, and you've got five weeks before the AGM where they'll be with shareholders could you think of something and I'd done a campaign with my own MP where I'd made her a hank I'd give I'd had a, a handkerchief that was given to me by an old lady in my church but I had I have two handkerchiefs on rotation so I didn't need it and I thought I can, I'll give it to charity and at the same time, I had an email back from my MP after, you know, sending lots of petition cards and postcards saying about all these issues I cared about. Her office had contacted me saying, stop emailing us, stop contacting us. You know, this is a waste of your time and our time and a waste of charities money because it was linked with different charities. I was so angry. You know, my mum's a, a local politician. I know politicians, you know, we as constituents, they're supposed to represent us. So instead of getting angry and replying, I did the hoovering <laughs> and I came up with this idea of why don't I use my handkerchief from this lovely lady, which was a lilac handkerchief with little flowers on, and I stitch a handwritten message over, you know, a handwritten in a biro saying, you know, dear my MP, his name was Jane, you know, please don't blow it use your power for good. I know you've got a really difficult job, but you've also got incredible opportunity and power to help the most vulnerable in society and protect our fragile planet. Yours in hope, Sarah, with my postcode. So she knew I was a constituent. And I stitched over it and it took a number of days and a number of hours, but it really helped me think about, okay, she doesn't see me as a potential voter. She possibly sees me as one of those activists that's very angry and aggressive and maybe not might not be so kind to her. So I made her this handkerchief because I knew if I asked to meet her, she could make an appointment for me to see her in her surgeries um, as a constituent. So I handed her this handkerchief saying, we don't know each other, Jane. Yes, I've been sending these these campaigns that I care about for your support and I can see that we have very diff you know you voted against a lot of them we have different perspectives and views but I'd love to know what made you want to be an MP and tell me about why you voted in this way I'm really keen to know and by handing her in a, you know I was very shy and quite embarrassed handing her this handkerchief that I'd backstitched over my own handwriting with this long message that took about 10 hours she immediately be went from being quite stern to looking at it, she then looked at the back, which any crafter knows, like, oh, maybe she's a stitcher, because she looked at the back. And then she said, oh, wow, that must have took ages. I started a cross stitch for my friend for her wedding, and it's 10 years later, and I still haven't finished it, and we had a laugh about that. And it just led from being this me against you to something in common. It was very small object. I hadn't tweeted it. Instagram didn't exist then. Can you believe it? And it just created this like critical friendship rather than being aggressive enemies. So when Share Action said, what could you do? I didn't want to come up with a new campaign for the sake of it, which often we can do as crafters because we have lots of creative ideas. I thought, what can I learn from how that really helped me build a relationship with her? Clearly the CEO doesn't want to talk to activists for whatever reason. Who's above the CEO of Marks and Spencers? The board members. There's 14 board members, including himself, 
he is still a he. Um, so I thought, who do the board members and the staff listen to? Their core customer base. They might not listen to people who don't look like Marks and Spencer supporters. So I contacted craftivists across the UK who I knew would be really thoughtful, really gentle, really considered, quite geeky about their strategy as well as their craft. And I bought handkerchiefs from Marks and Spencers <laughs> and I posted them up to all my craftivists. There's one of the alarms, if you can hear it, um, going past. I think it's the police. And I said, I want you to Google everything about your board member, from what colours they wear, are they really flamboyant and loud, are they quite shy, look on LinkedIn at their career path, are they a trustee of somewhere to show what passions they have, really try and find out what makes them tick as a human being and incorporate that into your handkerchief message that says, you know, a lovely timeless quote from someone that they admire about being a positive change in the world. So one, bo one board member loved music and was a trustee of the Royal Opera House. So we found that the craftivist found a quote from Miles Davis about being the change you want to see in the world and put little music notes everywhere. One of them was um, involved in Kew Gardens and loved gardening. So they had a quote from Anita Roddick about flourishing in business. And I didn't, you know, part of me was like, this worked really well with my MP as a catalyst for longer conversations with her and she'd get back to me and her office would get back to me as the hanky girl and it was really good and I thought, you know, that would be the goal. And we hand-delivered these beautiful bespoke handkerchiefs in little boxes with ribbon at the AGM so none of them knew what each other's hanky said. It wasn't a big display saying, look what we've made you, which often activists can slip into. And we hand delivered them and said, what we'd love is one meeting to see whether you could, you know, to see what you think about the living wage. Because we think we wrote handwritten letters to go alongside it as well that said the import, how the living wage made sense in terms of business sense, in terms of staff, you know, um, retention and efficiency and empowerment. And lots of other companies have done it really successfully. And it made sense in terms of ethics and dignity as well. So we had a really clear, you know, realistic, pragmatic campaign to go along with it, which is really important for any craftivism. It's not just being idealistic. And then we gave them to them. We For the next 10 months, we had lots of meetings with them that didn't involve craft because they trusted us to have real, you know, tr uh, respectful conversations with them. We made uh, Christmas cards that were handmade in paper craft saying, all we want for Christmas is the living wage, hint, hint. And then Valentine's Day, we, we said, you know, please show your love to your amazing staff and pay the living wage. So we had some nudges, creative nudges, but before the next AGM, the um, Marks and Spencers announced they were paying the living wage to 50,000 staff. So we went to the AGM to thank them, to go and say hello to them and keep a relationship with them and say, well done. They're not living wage accredited employees yet, and we'd really love them to be that. So we still went back with a bit of an ask. But what was incredible to, to see in person, because often you don't see in person, you know, with power holders, you might post them something or meet them once or twice was that so many of the board members came to find us and say to us, we in different at different times, one-on-one, -on -one, we had one board member who said that she went home with her handkerchief and her young boy, who was eight, said, what's a living wage then? Because she showed him this strange thing that she'd received and she had to explain what the living wage was, which is really, you know, another way for her to engage and invest in the campaign and remember it more. 
we had one board member who said that they put their handkerchief in the archive in Leeds, which is where their internal museum is, because they said that anything goes in the archive that has helped shape the history of the company, which is amazing. Um, and the chair of the board took me aside very quietly and said it was the most powerful campaign they'd experienced. And he was quite a shy, quiet, reserved guy. And I said, oh, why is that? And he said, because every time we met, which is quite regularly, board members meet very regularly, everyone kept saying, you know, people kept saying, what was on your handkerchief? What did yours look like? Where have you put yours? And then they'd start saying, you know, maybe they've got a point about the living wage. They had quite a strong argument. Should we look into it? Yes, let's have that meeting with them. And they'd have meetings with us. And, you know, the head of HR would say, no, this can't work for this reason. So we'd say, well, let us look into it and see if we can show you how it does work. So it was those, you know, he said it was the most powerful because it was so memorable. It was so humble. It was respectful. It was all of our messaging is super encouraging. It's nonviolent communication. It's really positive. It's all rooted in positive psychology and neuroscience, but not manipulative. And he yet by hearing a chair of a board say it was the most powerful campaign they'd experienced. It was amazing. But at the same time, we've had politicians especially respond to some of our craftivists in emails saying thank you for your gift but I completely disagree with what you've said for these reasons please don't contact me again and that's really sad when craftivists around the world get that it doesn't happen a lot because it is done so gently but when you have that I remember responding to one craftivist who was really upset by it and it was particularly on Black Lives Matter and he responded with how Black Lives Matter is Marxist and this and this so he wasn't well informed but he'd misinterpreted and you know come from it from a different angle that was more divisive and I said you know I really don't think I think you can respond saying how you disagree with them on these things and then just let it go. Because actually what's been really helpful with that lovely gift of this little black heart you made uh, as a badge for him to wear, he's not he's not going to engage with it. So it's a better use of your time to engage with someone else, knowing that you've tried, you've responded in a really you know kind way to say, I'm here if you ever want to talk about it. Lots of constituents in your area do care about this so you know you should still be aware of it as their representative and then go do something else whether it's engage your counsellors or local shop um, owners or whatever it is it's still so helpful to get that response to get that intel get that data and then be strategic of where's the best use of your time so either way you've still done it in a very kind way so you know you haven't been polarizing and you haven't been unkind um but sometimes we just got to let it go and sometimes you never know the impact you have you know some people might say you've had loads of impact on them and you haven't or some people say you haven't and you have so they keep thinking about it afterwards and can't let it go Exactly. And I've had people years later saying, you know, that that campaign you did or that sensory, like we have lavender smells and instrumental music in all of our workshops and lovely, lovely tablecloths and grapes to share and all of the elements I really use, like flowers on the table. It'll take sometimes it's years later that people say, you know what, it took me a few years, but now I've changed my habits of living more ethically or you know I was just thinking about that thing I saw on Instagram last year and now I'm going to change my energy suppliers to renewable because of the gentle nudges it's not always you need to do this now sometimes it's 
it is planting those seeds i think so sometimes it works you know sometimes the seeds grow into massive trees and big successes like m&s sometimes they don't sometimes they grow a little bit sometimes you never know but it's still worth doing as long as you're not just creating lots like i'm always about quality not quantity so you know do it really well and then i think again it comes back to that you know yourself whether you've really tried and it's not ego led but it's service service driven and you've thought through all the elements then i think you're you know it is really empowering for the maker and all of that you know the person who receives it or who sees it i think can yeah can really see that in in what they've made i guess you are the polar opposite of the shouty you know, placard waving, angry protester yeah. on the street, and just these these gentle small things can quite often, I think, like you say, nudge people in the right direction. It's yeah. not it's not screaming in somebody's face. It's just gently showing people another another way. But you know what, Lindsay? Because I get lots of people saying, "Well, it's okay for you because you're naturally very gentle." I'm not. I'm so angry about injustice. I'm angry about inequality, about global warming, about people just being unkind to each other at the bus stop. Like, you know, that anger still fuels me. But I know, you know, I read a lot on mental health and well-being and and campaigns and activism because, you know, I'm passionate about that. But I know that unless I channel my anger into something productive and positive, it not only doesn't help the campaign to just scream and shout and throw eggs at people, but it also doesn't help me because chronic anger makes us physically unwell. So, you know, I keep talking about common sense because I'm like, yes, we need people on the streets to speak out. We need those, you know, quick actions that get media because me, as you know, as a journalist, you know, media want those quick, easy responses. But at the same time, if soon as one person out of a thousand throws a brick, the media focus on that. And then the power holders have got a tiny uh, excuse to say, well, we can't talk to these activists because they're violent and they're throwing stuff at us. Or the neuroscience of being named and shamed means that you naturally never want to engage with that person again because they've made you feel so bad. Whereas our gifts are they're like ne- they're bad surprises, whereas good surprises like our handkerchiefs or something you see on the street, they create dopamine. So that person who sees it might see our little craftivist collective label on our street art and say, "Oh, I'm going to look up that because that in my you know subconsciously their body saying I want more of that good surprise because it gives me dopamine." Or like the MS board, they were willing to speak to us again and, and look for us at the next AGM because their body was saying they gave us dopamine, I want more dopamine. So all it's sometimes it's subconscious, sometimes it's conscious. But I you know, I don't want people to think craftivism is the only thing to do. Like we do need to if someone says something xenophobic at the bus stop, I get on lots of buses, not at the moment with lockdown. But if someone says something xenophobic, I'm not going to run home and cross-stitch them something. I'm going to say, oh, that's a big statement. You know, let's unpack that. Or, oh, that sounds like you've been hurt somehow. Like, are you all right? But, you know, a bit concerned that you're saying everyone's like that. There might be some people like that, just like there's some British people like that. And just have those little gentle conversations. But I do, yeah, I don't, I'm not, not, I am still angry like everyone, but I know to, you know, again, gentleness 
the de- one of the definitions of gentleness is self-control, self-awareness, emotional intelligence. So, you know, we do need some of the loud stuff as well. But this isn't just, you know, any listeners are like, well, I'm not gentle, I'm really angry. I think craft is an incredible tool to help you channel that anger. And we should be angry about injustice, but we shouldn't, you know, Martin Luther King's one of my absolute activist heroes. So I reread so many of his sermons and essays and speeches because he was incredibly emotionally intelligent and strategic. And I often think, you know, what would he do if he was a craftivist? And what would he do as an activist nowadays? He wouldn't, you know, Michelle Obama talks about when they go low, we go high. You know, we have to keep in check with ourselves because our immediate response is often to have a tantrum. And we can see it in our kids. They're figuring out what to do. But a lot of adult activism can slip into immature tantrums. And actually, if we really care deeply about the cause, we need to you know, check in with ourselves and be like, am I part of the solution or could I improve myself a little bit? And craft isn't the only thing to do, but it is one tool that I think is really a valid thing to add to our toolbox. Now, of course, you, we when we were speaking prior to, to recording this interview, you were saying that your, your next big target is the COP26 um, yeah. meeting up in Glasgow. Yeah. So what do you have planned ahead of that? Yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know what COP26 is, it's the UN Climate Conference. Um, so happens every year um, in a different country and all world leaders come together to tackle climate change. So you might remember Copenhagen's COP21 was an absolute disaster. I was there on the streets and it was really upsetting that just nothing happened. But then we had the Paris COP a couple of years ago with Christina Figueres as the chair, who's an incredible woman who wore one of our stitched green hearts, which was amazing. Um, And now you have this Paris agreement that's really important. And this, it was, COP was supposed to be last year, but obviously with COVID, it didn't happen. So it's gonna be in November this year in Glasgow um, for 10 days. And it's a little bit like our Make Poverty History moment, if people remember in the UK and Glen Eagles, which also is in Scotland, you had people on the streets and, you know, because England, even though we're so small, the world does look at us and, it, you know, and we English language is still a very, um, a language that lots of people know. So it really feels like such an important moment for us because not only, you know, global warming is creeping closer to a lot of us are already affecting the most vulnerable people in the world. And I was thinking the last few months, I do a lot with different charities. And I was like, I kept asking them, what are you doing for COP? What are you doing for COP? And a lot's planned from September onwards. But as crafters, we need more time to do things and not just do things quickly. And I thought, I, you know, where's, again, like all listeners, it's really important to think, where do I have influence? Where do I have power? And, you know, really focus on that, not just what do I have a passion for? And I'm really, you know, proud that the craftivist collective it has a good reputation as of being effective and gentle people know me hopefully hopefully more crafters will after this and to trust that i'll do something you know strategic and thoughtful and and not just big and brash so i kept thinking oh what what we've got to do the craft community has got to do something like we're growing in the uk and in the world we're thoughtful we're growing a lot of people of all different political persuasions are part of the craft community, which is really important because climate change is not a political party issue and shouldn't be. 
and we need everyone involved and a lot of crafters that engage with the crafters community um a bit nervous of more extrovert forms of activism or might be housebound or anxious people if they're not lefty politically they might not feel included by different activist groups already out there so i've come up with a project that i'm going to launch the first of june and it will lead up to cop but you can also use it after cop as well but I'm, I would love over the summer, my goal really, and what I'm working towards at the moment, is to try and galvanise the craft community this summer, so June to September, to make these beautiful little canary birds, so real life size, if you can, in whatever craft you're good at, which is different to our projects that are normally um, one type of craft. So you can do crochet, knitting, felt, um, hand embroidery, even cross stitch, you know, all listeners, you know, imagine what you can make as a beautiful canary bird on your own as a and using the process i'll have craft of thought questions for you to think through about what you can do on climate change and how you can encourage others and world leaders and then we're going to ask you to take a picture of your canary somewhere in public um with a lovely little banner and i'll have different patterns for people as well but you can use your own pattern saying about how we're joining the race to zero uh, the hashtag race to zero which is the un global campaign which is brilliant and got lots of different actions you can take that aren't craft related so it'll be about joining the race to zero emissions and joining the craftivists and joining the craft community to say we really care about this canaries it's not about dead canaries people you know canaries if you don't know are they search for clean air so they're really beautiful you know they're yellow which is very hopeful they're delicate they sing beautifully we're focused on yellow canaries not other canaries and we want them to hold the little banners in their beaks or in their legs or on little placards saying we are part of the race to zero how can you be part of it too and you use the process to engage in it yourself. You keep your little canary after you've taken a picture, but you can also do so much with your little canary. So as a group, if you're part of, I do a lot with the girl guides, for example, so you could make a lovely big banner and everyone make a canary in different ways and hang it up in your venue or outside the venue that you meet, if you get permission for that. We're gonna have some craft shops who are gonna do window displays where they'll have their lovely big banner saying they've joined the race to zero emissions and then craft um, their craft customers and community are going to populate the window with their canaries once they've made them. So there's lots of different ways you can use it and it'll be really good for social media to get more people engaged. And we're going to ask people to dress as canaries in little capes and little beaks, so little masks, and sit outside in small groups, so less than 10 people, no bigger, in silence with your little beak on, stitch in your canary, but do it somewhere that's a landmark that you want to protect and have a banner possibly saying, you know, you want to protect this from global warming. And then we've got these really beautiful images of these small, quiet, gorgeous craftivists in their little capes, which could be, you know, shoulder length or longer, you know, as much as possible with upcycled resources or could even be with plastic bags, whatever you want to do as a, as a crafter. But having these images of the craft community globally making their canary showing their commitment, but also asking for others' commitment, we'll have social media top tips as well. And crafter noons, I'm going to do some Zoom webinars and chats every fortnight to say, how are we doing? Make sure that you guys tell me, like, do we want a session on 
craft uh, climate change and mental health? Do we want a session on youth? So we'll use the summer to galvanise each other, support each other, tell me what more you need as well, share each other's craft of thoughts and journeys. And then the plan is that from September onwards, we get so we've already got Molly Makes magazine say that they'll feature in in the autumn. So we want to gather all these beautiful images and stories and case studies and craft of thoughts from you guys so that in the autumn onwards, the media have got all of this beautiful content to say, isn't this interesting? The craft community care about climate as well. It's not just a lefty issue. It's not just a people who love trees issue this is all of us um and particularly and i'd love your listeners to to help me with this as well and give me feedback email me or tweet me or instagram me i really want us to get into media that don't normally cover climate change issues so in the uk we're not going to focus on the guardian magazine but you know can we get in the style magazine of the sunday telegraph can we get in the time the sunday times as a lovely big feature you know where can we again always think and where can activism add to the where can craftivism add to the activism toolkit where can we have these lovely positive hopeful messages about how we have all the solutions to global warming we just need to implement them more and scale them up more in different sectors and individually and the canaries are going to be flying towards the solutions you know they're flying towards cop all eyes are on cop but afterwards we also want you to carry on with your canaries in different ways and say we're all part of the solution we're focused on the solutions we're not it's not about despair it's about really celebrating what's already happening you know last week netflix said that they had committed to being carbon neutral in a few years so that's you know a really good thing to say they're on the race to zero so really positive really thoughtful really attract you know i love that our craftivism is about quiet activism slow activism but really attractive really hopeful really positive the opposite of what you often expect of activism so from the first of june we'll have lots of patterns and resources but before then i'm also asking craftivists to help me you know prepare those patterns and examples and over the summer really just communicate with each other of what do each other need what do we need from each other what can we learn from each other you know this is a community it's not top down so do get in touch and you know do help i'm really keen that i just think there's so much possibility and potential for us this summer you know while we are stuck in lockdown still even if we can travel a little bit you know use the summer use the time to relax to do some craftivism and you know if you are scared of climate change this is a great tool to turn that despair into action and empowerment and positivity and so yeah there's that's my pitch which is all a little bit all over the place because i'm like literally in the middle of planning it all so i haven't told anyone yet oh my word (laughs) i got the exclusive it's so exciting but i'd love your help as well you know with your journalism background like what do we need to make sure that that different editors really love will really say like our audience would love this or this is such a lovely thing to share that's really hopeful and visual but also you know a gentle nudge to say what more are you doing mm. that's really interesting saying that you want to get it into the places where 
you know, you, you can convert people's feelings as opposed to people who are already singing from the same hymn sheet kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, and often, you know, talking to... I have such a diverse crafterist community and I love it. And it's interesting, I do get, you know, secret emails from people saying, I really care about climate change, but I feel like I'm not going to be welcome to this group because I vote in this particular way or I don't look like that or have a different background or different perspective in some ways you know global warming and climate change it's such a common cause for everyone like we all care you know it doesn't I, often we get caught up in activism where if we don't agree with each other 100 percent, we can't move forward and that's stopping us from doing so much you know you, there will still be stuff we all disagree on and in some ways we've got to be pragmatic and say okay we might never agree on everything and there'll be some stuff we really struggle with each other on but the world needs us, our, you know, future generations need us, current people around the world who are struggling from global warming and pollution and everything need us. So let's leave all that aside and just focus on this as a common cause and how can we move forward together. So it would be a bit, I think it would be a good challenge for us all actually to do the process together and share honestly with each other, but not be distracted by other imperfections and other issues to just say, okay, we need to make sure that the UK, the, the world leaders, the media can see that the craft community really care about this and we will be watching you to make sure that COP is really successful, but we'll also be doing our bit as well. We're not just telling you what to do, we're also doing our bit as well. And I think all those elements are really important. So uh, yeah, I'd love people to join our Crafternoons where we'll have those discussions and we'll record them for youtube if you can't join them if it's a different time zone but um yeah let's just keep the conversation crafterism climate crafterism conversations over the summer and help each other on the journey you know we've got a few months over the summer so i think we can i think we can make a few canaries don't you reckon Lindsay? absolutely you can count me in that's for sure good well there you go evidence <laughs> brilliant <laughs> Well, Sarah, it's been a real delight to speak to you today. Thank you so much for, for taking the time to speak to me. I really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you for doing this podcast just off your own back and getting such a lovely organic community. I mean, it's scary and it's a lot of time, isn't it? But I think that, you know, shows your love of the craft community as well and how I just think we're there's so much we bring to the world and our beautiful, you know, craft, but also that that gentleness that a lot of crafters have like it's so nice to be able to to connect with more people like yourself and feel part of this community wow what an inspiration sarah is i'm really very grateful indeed that she was able to find the time to speak to me for so long i could have listened to sarah for hours if you'd like to get involved in the craftivist collective cop 26 race to zero canary project please do follow Sarah on social media and sign up to the Craftivist Collective newsletter. I'll include all of the links for that in the show notes for this episode. My thanks again to Sarah for being so generous with her time and thank you too for listening to Making Stitches. I really appreciate your support. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, perhaps you'd like to share it with your friends or even leave a review on your favourite podcast app. And if you fancy supporting the podcast in another way, Maybe you'd like to buy me a coffee through my Ko-fi page. Any funds I raise this way will go towards the costs involved in creating and maintaining the podcast. 
Thanks again very much for listening. I'll be back again in two weeks with another inspiring maker story for you. And until then, do keep safe and enjoy your crafting. <laughs>